Hello and welcome to Inside EcoDevo, an economic development podcast helping Missourians prosper. On this episode, we're talking about the Community Development Block Grants, better known as CDBG. And sitting down with us to help with the discussion is Brandon Jensen, the Business and Community Solutions Program Manager for CDBG. Brandon, welcome. Good morning, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, So before we dive into today's topic, if you could just give us a little bit of background on yourself. How did you come to be the program manager for CDBG? So I'm a Missouri native. I grew up in southwest Missouri, and in college I studied community and regional planning and interned with a regional planning commission in southwest Missouri. Uh, and, And those organizations, there's 19 throughout the state, they do a lot of work in infrastructure funding and grant writing for their communities. And so I got involved as an intern and then later as a staff member and then gained expertise in the CDBG program through that work and then was pulled over to work for DED. Okay. Was there anything in particular that kind of drew you to that line of work? What was it about that kind of stuff that you were like, I have to do that? Yeah, I think it was um, actually providing funding. So in the planning world, like you make really great plans and they oftentimes take a long time to come to fruition, typically 10 to 20 years. Whereas with infrastructure and and grant funded projects, you have a timeline that you have to get those projects done. in. so it's, it's just really satisfying to be able to see a physical, a tangible impact to people's lives throughout the state. Okay. And I definitely want to kind of go down that road of the impact you guys see with the work that you do. But before we do that, let's kind of Start high level. Tell us about community development block grants. What are those? Yeah, this oftentimes gets a little bit of chuckle, but we are the most flexible funding program from the federal government in terms of what we can fund, but we're also one of the most heavily regulated. So what that actually means for communities is that almost any community need that they have, whether it's a fire station that needs to be built or a daycare that needs rehabbed or they need to repair or build new roads, water, sewer, pretty much any publicly owned asset can be improved using CDBG dollars. And they can also partner with nonprofits. So it truly is the most flexible in what it can fund. But along with that comes all the the federal regulations that our team is here to, to help communities navigate. And speaking of the team, I mean, it sounds like CDBG is quite diverse in what it can allow communities to use funds for. Mm-hmm. So you, I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but I, I believe BCS is the largest division we have within DED. And I think uh, CDBG is probably one of the larger teams, rightfully so, since there's so many things you guys uh, have to kind of provide and all the different avenues that CDBG can go down. So can you talk a little bit about the diverse nature of CDBG and the team that kind of supports that work? Absolutely. Yeah. So we've got three separate teams within CDBG and they're really focused on the services that they provide related to our subrecipients or the communities that receive our funds. So the first is our development team. And those are the folks that help communities develop projects, help prepare their applications to make sure they're fundable whenever they submit them to our program as well as environmental review, which can be one of the earliest hurdles that communities have to overcome to receive funding and and carry out their project. The bulk of our team is with the compliance folks. So we have sort of two subsets in compliance. The first are those that operate under our annual program. So that's our competitive general infrastructure, community facilities, demolition, and economic development programs. 
And then we have another set of uh, compliance specialists who help communities who are utilizing disaster recovery and mitigation funding. Our final team, they sort of work behind the scenes in CDBG, but they are just as important. They manage all of the reporting that we do up to HUD on the, the federal funding that we receive. Um, and it's only with that funding that we can continue to receive additional allocations every year. So it's it's all very important work to make sure the program operates the way it needs to. Yeah. How many categories of CDBG are there? Oh, Wow. It might be easier to talk about programs than categories. Um, So we receive annual allocations. So every year HUD renews our funding. It's around $24 million that we receive. Um, And under that program, we offer emergency and long-term recovery projects. So helping communities recover from immediate disaster events. And that can be prior to any federal or state declaration. So it can be a localized emergency that we can assist with. We have economic development, which is intended to pay for public infrastructure for specifically manufacturing um, and industry expansion or new businesses within communities. And then we have our competitive cycle. So that's going to be general infrastructure, community facilities, demolition, and workforce training. So that's all under our annual side. Then we have a disaster allocation. It's called DR4317 internally. That's the federal disaster name under which we received the funds. But those are focused primarily on southern Missouri from the floods that happened back in 2017. Mm. Um, And it's designed, there's three separate programs under that disaster allocation, but generally it's focused on housing recovery and then funding for improving resilience to future disaster events. Then our our final and newest allocation is DR4451. So that's related to the flooding and tornadoes that occurred in Missouri in 2019 that impacted Holt County, Cole County, and St. Charles. And under that, we have a a whole slew of activities that the the three uh, counties are able to select from um, and, and carry out those programs in their communities. And all of those programs, in some way or another, are partnered with federal funding, correct? Yeah, they're, they're all federally okay. funded. Can you talk about that partnership between the, the federal side and the state side? The money comes from the feds. We have to disperse it in some manner. I'd imagine there's some kind of partnership or working together there. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so we coordinate all of our work through the Kansas City HUD Regional Field Office. We're actually a very unique state in that we have two... HUD regional offices, one in Kansas City and one in St. Louis, but all of the state programs are operated through HUD. So to receive funding, there's a few different planning documents that we have to have in place. Uh, The first is our consolidated plan. So that's a five-year planning document that outlines at a high level the goals that all of our HUD-funded programs, so um, that consolidated plan includes funding that goes to the Missouri Housing Development Commission for rental production And it includes funding that goes to the Department of Health and Senior Services for funding for individuals to get housing uh, who have AIDS. So all of those different programs are part of the consolidated plan. And we identify at a very high level the goals that we're going to achieve over the next five years, the performance measures that we anticipate to uh, meet, and then the expected resources as well as the program structure themselves. So that's done every five years. And for us to be able to fund any type of project, it has to align with the consolidated plan. So it's really important that we get that document right. 
And just a plug, I'll note that we're currently in the process of updating our consolidated plan. We've got a, a public survey that we just completed uh, that's provided a lot of feedback on the types of activities that our communities need us to fund that are allowable at the federal level, um, but that haven't been a part of the state program. So then we also do annual action plans, which say here are the types of projects we're going to fund over the next year. Here's how much funding we allocate to each of those types of projects. So HUD reviews all of those documents and then sends us a grant agreement and then um, issues us a, a line of credit, which is essentially funding that we can draw down from throughout the year as we have projects that incur costs. So once we've got the approval and sort of in tandem with that, we also have to work with the state legislature to ensure that we're appropriated the authority to spend those federal grant dollars. So it really does require coordination between the federal government who sets the program regulations and determines how much funding we're going to receive, but then also with the state legislature so that they understand the, the types of projects that we can fund, the assistance we can provide to communities and continue to appropriate that spending authority. Sounds like a lot of moving parts to kind of make sure all of that, all the ducks are in the row there. Yep. Um, you had mentioned that Missouri is a little bit unique because we have two HUD locations, one in Kansas City, one in St. Louis. Is there a specific reason why Missouri has that, or is it just because we're kind of centrally located and there's a lot of states around us? I'd say it's the latter option. I don't know specifically, but each regional field office oversees multiple states, and each state has multiple types of CDBG funding. So there's state CDBG programs, which is what we're talking about today, and then there's also entitlement CDBG programs. So any community that's over... 50,000 in population or any county that's over 200,000 in population receives their funding from HUD directly rather than having to work through the state government. So those HUD regional field offices are not only working with state CDBG staff, but also working with entitlement CDBG staff throughout the region. All right. And then when it comes to communities, when they apply for these funds, when they're available, what does that process look like? For them, regardless of, you know, I guess maybe it, it depends on the funds that they're using and how they're being used, whether it's, you know, improving a, a sewer line or building a road or recovering from a disaster. But when a community wants to take part in these funds, what does that process look like for them? What do they have to do? Yeah, there's a, a general process that no matter what funding source or what type of activity you're trying to fund, there's a, a general process that needs to be followed. So the first is to determine what the community's needs are. So our federal regulations specifically state that the community has to have an identified list of needs. So we have an assessment that helps communities do that, or if they have an adopted comprehensive plan, then we can use that as their needs assessment. But once they've identified what their needs are and they have an idea of what type of project they would like to submit, the next step is then going to be making sure that they understand who all of the players are going to be. So if it involves working with a nonprofit or a school district or a sewer district or a road district, those folks have to be a part of the application. So uh, making sure that they're engaging with all of the stakeholders early and, and um, understanding who's going to be responsible for what is pretty important. The next step, once you have your project identified, you have your key players identified, is to figure out, okay, how much is this going to cost, right? So the next step would be to bring on either an engineer or an architect, depending on the type of project that 
whether it's construction of a building or construction of infrastructure, who prepares a preliminary report that basically does an alternatives analysis, identifies the operation and maintenance costs moving forward, and then provides a recommended solution along with an opinion of probable costs. And that opinion of probable costs, or OPC, is the basis for the budget of the project. So once they know what the funding or how much the project is going to cost, the next step is to figure out the budget package. So CDBG acts as a gap financing, which means that we expect all other available resources to be committed to the project before we step in with our funds. So really just funding the difference between available resources and the total project cost. So communities will build out their budget package, start to prepare their actual application, and then work with their governing body to commit any funds that are available to the project or secure any other grants that are being pursued to help support the project, and then submit the application. Once that happens, it goes through an internal review where we look at completeness and accuracy and then also do an evaluation based upon published criteria Under the competitive cycle, we then rank all of those projects from highest score to lowest score and start at the top and fund them until we either exhaust all of our funding or have awarded all of the applications that we received. This funding, how much funding are we typically talking about here when the funds are exhausted? Is there like a set amount? Does it kind of depend on the category? How does that work? Yeah, so HUD allocates around $24 each year to the state. We, within our action plan, set aside a certain portion of funding for water and wastewater projects in partnership with USDA Rural Development and the Missouri Department of Natural Resources. And then we also set aside some funds for emergency and long-term recovery, typically about $1 to $2 million per annual cycle. And then the remaining funds we make available for the open cycle economic development projects, that's typically around four to five million. And then all remaining funds are made available under the competitive cycle, which includes the demolition infrastructure and community facilities. And we do that so we can retain flexibility in um, the types of projects that communities submit to us. We don't want to segregate all of our funding into this amount for general infrastructure and this amount for community facilities. And then when we go out for applications, it turns out that all of the applications that year are general infrastructure. If that happens, we have the flexibility to to modify the action plan and be able to fund all those projects. But uh, it's something that we, we try to stay away from so we can offer the maximum flexibility. And when these communities get the funding, how important is that for some of these communities when they have to rebuild a road or uh, recover from disaster or what have you? How in, like, I mean, I, I'm sure you guys have some kind of indication of like just the importance that these communities get this funding to do what they need to do. Yeah, I think um, that brings up a, a pretty good point that we haven't talked about so far, which is that every CDBG funded project has to meet what's called a national objective. And HUD has identified a few national objectives that can be met. But at least 70% of our funds have to benefit low to moderate income residents. So these are folks that make less than 80% of the county median wage. So projects are required to demonstrate that they're benefiting these LMI communities in rural Missouri and really throughout every state that has a state CDBG program. So 
that's our sort of our first metric in measuring how we're actually impacting folks. Under our disaster recovery and mitigation programs, those actually have direct beneficiaries wherein we may be working with property owners whose homes were flooded in the 2017 flooding in southern Missouri, and they have no options to move out of those homes. Um, So our program can actually purchase those at the pre-flood fair market value and then provide some additional assistance so they can purchase another property within the same community so that community doesn't see an export of their residence after a disaster event. So it, it can be intangible, like getting a new road in a community that otherwise wouldn't have the funding to pay for it, or it can be directly impacting people's lives. But regardless, I believe last year our metrics were between sixty and 70,000 Missourians were impacted with the projects we were able to close out and complete last year. Um, And that's not including the the leverage funds or the jobs that we create through our economic development program either. So do you have any like success stories through your time here that that you've witnessed that are like, wow, that we really made a difference and here's how we did it? Yeah, it's, I think it's hard to pick out any one project, but I, I would say our programs specifically the disaster recovery programs, I think because they have people who are directly being impacted by those activities. I think those are some of the ones that stand out the most um, just because you can, you can see people's lives being changed by the work that we're doing. And then our our water and wastewater funding is, is critically important. I think nationally we're seeing a, a decline in the, the quality of infrastructure that we have for water and sewer as those systems continue to age and and just break down over time. And so we have several projects where there are communities that are like, they may be significantly out of compliance with permitted regulations. And so being able to, to help those communities and provide safe, clean drinking water to their residents or make sure that um, the sewer system is working the way we all want sewer systems to work. I think those projects are pretty dang important as well. Yeah. And when you guys, you and your your team kind of see the impact that their work is having on communities, does that kind of like invigorate the team? Do they get like a little something extra like, wow, you know, I may be sitting in an office pushing paper, you know, checking numbers, what have you, but my work is directly impacting Missouri citizens in a positive way. So it's got to positively benefit uh, them and their work, I'd imagine. Yeah. And that's one of the great things about our program is that we specifically require that under federal regulations, we're required to be on site periodically. And so whether that's to review project files and make sure that they're adequate and protect the subrecipient or to check the job site and make sure that like labor standards and other regulations are being complied with. So it's actually really nice that our team gets to be out in the field, meeting the people that are helping to carry out these projects, meeting the communities and the the residents that are going to be impacted afterwards. Yeah. That boots on the ground kind of approach kind of really puts it all into perspective. I'd imagine. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and it helps strengthen the relationship between the state and our subrecipients because at the end of the day, our function is to make sure that the project was carried out in a compliant fashion. And we, 
we work hand in hand with our subrecipients to make sure that they comply with all the applicable regulations and ensure that there's never a chance that the community may have to repay those funds. So that's really our function is to be the last level of protection that a, a grant recipient has when having to comply with federal regulations. Okay. Uh, switching gears just a little bit up top, we were talking about, you know, the what's yearly, what's kind of in, in a cycle, what's going on right now currently with CWG? What, what's in cycle? What are you guys working on at the moment? Um, so right now we have our competitive cycle application open. So again, that's general infrastructure, community facilities, demolition, and workforce training. Our emergency and long-term recovery programs are an open cycle application. So you can always submit uh, if a community experiences a disaster event, they can submit an application anytime. Our economic development is also an open cycle application. So as communities have businesses that are interested in locating or expanding there, they can apply to our office for the infrastructure that's necessary to support those projects. And then we also have our second round of DR4317 applications open for housing projects. Okay. Is there one particular, um, I know we category wasn't the, the uh, terminology, but for some reason that's what keeps coming to mind. Maybe program is a better way uh, to say it, but is there one particular category slash program of CDBG that, you know, for lack of a better term is most popular that gets used the most? Yeah, I can speak about our most recent cycle. So under the competitive program, we were actually able to fully obligate all of the funding that we had available under our most recent application cycle. And there was a a pretty significant portion of the projects fell under general infrastructure and specifically roads. So I know that streets and roads are one of the biggest expenses for small communities, especially whenever there may be a state route that goes through their community. And so we we saw quite a bit of applications for street and road projects under the most recent cycle. And you were talking about how flexible CWG is, probably the most flexible pro- set of programs that we have. What do you foresee the kind of future of these programs being? Like, what is the you know, are you guys able to look at the kind of trajectory of how these funds are used and how they need to be flexible in order to kind of, you know, keep up with what could happen? Like, do you foresee some of these categories or programs changing, things being added? What do you see from your perspective? Yeah, that's actually exactly what we're going through right now with the consolidated plan. So as far as the survey that we recently completed, One of the biggest issues from my time whenever I was working in southwest Missouri with a bunch of small towns, I recognized that there's a need for rural housing, and housing is an eligible activity type under CDBG. And I I think we're seeing more and more that rural housing is economic development. You can't attract businesses to your community if you can't demonstrate you have the workforce there. And you can't focus on getting your workforce trained if they don't have a decent place to live. So I think we're seeing that housing is becoming more and more of an economic development issue. And that played out in the survey that we recently conducted as well. So I would imagine that our program will be exploring opportunities that we have to strengthen our relationship with MHDC and the housing programs that they offer through their HUD funding. 
and exploring if there's any opportunities to collaborate or layer CDBG dollars for those rural communities that may need it the most. Is it difficult to add a new category or program like that? I know it all kind of comes from HUD. So if the feds aren't, I guess, allowing funds for that, maybe we, we can. But if we, we see a need and we go, hey, we, we need to really expand in developing housing and all, and all that, is it difficult to, to get that push through? There's a lot that has to go into standing up a new program. The first is it has to align with a goal in the consolidated plan. So if it's not in the consolidated plan, then until that five years is up, you're not going to be able to fund that type of activity, which is why we're doing so much outreach right now. The next is to make sure that we're incorporating it into the action plan. Whenever it's incorporated into the action plan, that essentially means we are accepting applications of this type for this year. But if you take a step back for a moment, you have to think about what are the supports that are necessary for a new program to be stood up, and especially a new type of program that we haven't funded, in my experience, with CDBG for several years. So we, we don't currently do housing activities except on the DR disaster recovery side. So along with getting it in those planning documents, we have to have an application that accurately captures all of the information that we are required to collect from HUD for that type of project. We have to have policies that provide guidance to our subrecipients how to carry out those activities in a compliant fashion. We have to have forms that collect that data or allow for that input from our subrecipients throughout the life of the project. And then we have to build out our own internal processes to make sure that with housing specifically, there are a bunch of extra rules that come along with HUD funding, like lead-based paint and decent, safe, and sanitary requirements. So we would have to make sure that our processes internally are adequate for ensuring that we're providing the guidance subrecipients need to be compliant. So there's a, a lot of internal stand-up work that goes into making those possible. But if that's the need that communities of Missouri are expressing, then that's the work that we're going to do. Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so any community, you know, anybody who's listening who wants to find out more about these programs, what CDBG has to offer, and all the little other ancillary things about CDBG, where can they go to find that information? The DED website is one of the, the best resources. On our, our landing page, we have all of our available funding opportunities. Um, and then at the bottom of the page, you can find any information that you might be interested in related to each of our application categories. But then I would always just encourage people to reach out to our office. Our email is mocdbg at ded.mo.gov. The main phone line is 573-751-3600. And right now that's forwarding directly to my line. <laughs> so you'll probably get to talk to me if you call that. And then we'll get you connected with either our project development folks who will help you once you've got an idea of the project, we'll help walk them all the way to the funding approval and grant agreement stage. I feel like we've covered quite a lot in CWG, and I'm sure if we keep going, we could cover two, three, four times as much. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think is very important that people should know about CWG? I would just emphasize that while there, there are a lot of requirements that come along with CDBG funding, it is probably the best resource that communities have to address any of their needs, whether it's a, a large community of like 45,000 or it's a small village of 25 people. 
our staff is here to help walk them throughout the life of the project to make sure that they're meeting the needs of their residents. And that's what we're going to continue to do. And then lastly here, the department's motto is helping Missourians prosper. Uh, So with the work you do, the work your team does within CDBG, how does that further that mission? Seems pretty obvious, but (laughs) just to put words to it. Like we talked about through the application process, we're focused on addressing the needs of residents and communities themselves, whether that's improving their infrastructure, creating new jobs, improving housing. Um, Those are all things that we can assist with to to help make Missourians' lives better um, so that they they can go on to be prosperous. Yeah, I think that's a a great way uh, to end it. Brandon, I know it sounds like you guys are extremely busy there in in CDBG, uh, and it sounds like you're doing a lot of great work, and I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and just give us all this great information. Yeah, thank you, Eric. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Eco Devo featuring Community Development Block Grants. To find out more about what's happening at the Missouri Department of Economic Development, including current programs and upcoming opportunities, be sure to subscribe. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And if there's an economic development topic you're interested in hearing more about or just have general questions or comments, then you can email us at ded.communications at ded.mo.gov. You can also leave those same questions and comments right here on this episode, hosted on SoundCloud, but found anywhere else podcasts are found.